0: The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. We've been working our way passage by passage through the book of 1 Peter. And today the next passage we come to is 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. It says... So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God bless the reading of his word. Kyle, uh, let's, uh, let's pray this morning. Father, your word is uh, more to be desired than gold and sweeter also than honey, the psalmist tells us. And so, Lord, help us to see its value this morning, to taste its sweetness, and uh, certainly, of course, to experience its power Through the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whenever someone has a baby, uh, one of the expectations uh, that they have is that their baby will grow. And uh, certainly that's a very reasonable expectation to have. Like if you are a parent of a a newborn infant and your, your infant isn't growing... You'd be entirely justified in being very concerned about that, and you'd undoubtedly be relentless in your pursuit of an answer, like, why isn't my baby growing? You'd go to doctor after doctor in an attempt to find someone who could correctly diagnose the problem and offer appropriate treatment it would be such an urgent issue for you that everything else in your life would basically come to a screeching halt as you tried everything you could to get your baby to grow in a normal and healthy way. And so there's an expectation that babies will grow. And that expectation continues throughout childhood. That's why we have growth charts Right? We tell our kids to stand against the wall so we can measure and put a mark based on how much they've grown over the past year. It almost goes without saying that if a child's not growing, something's terribly wrong. And that's the way it is for a Christian as well. Something's terribly wrong if we're not growing spiritually. A lack of spiritual growth may even be an indication that we've never been genuinely saved in the first place. Now, our growth might be very gradual and consist of a pattern of two steps forward and one step back. That's totally fine. In fact, that's the normal pattern. The important thing, though, is that there's at least some observable growth over a period of time. And this growth isn't just something that happens automatically. It's something we have to pursue. And that's the central truth we see in our passage of scripture today of 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. God expects his people to pursue spiritual growth. If you're taking notes, feel free to write that down as our, our main idea today. God expects his people to pursue Spiritual growth. And as we look at these verses in 1 Peter, we can observe four truths about spiritual growth. They include the hindrances to our growth, the means of our growth, the goal of our growth, and finally, the motivation for our growth. And don't worry if you can't write them all down right now. Uh, We'll spend the rest of our time this morning talking about these truths. So, first, let's look at the hindrances. To our growth. We find these listed in verse 1. Peter tells his readers, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These are five examples of character qualities that will keep us from making spiritual progress and becoming more like Jesus. And you know, really the same could be said of all sins, but Peter highlights these five in particular. He first identifies malice as a sin we need to forsake. And um, even though the English word malice refers to desiring that harm come to someone else, uh, the original Greek word Peter uses is a bit more general and is often in other contexts simply translated as wickedness, just general wickedness. Uh, after that, deceit is a word that literally refers to a fisherman baiting his hook. It speaks of falsehood and dishonesty. Then the word translated to hypocrisy, some of you may have heard. This originally uh, referred to an actor in ancient theater wearing a mask. It was a masked person. It refers to someone today who projects a certain image of themselves... to to other people, but who in reality is someone much different. Next, Peter speaks of envy, which refers to resenting the blessings that others enjoy. And lastly, Peter mentions slander, which uh, is essentially speaking lies about someone else and defaming their character. So those are the things Peter says that we are supposed to put away. That phrase, put away... Is also translated "lay aside" or "rid yourselves of." It was often used of someone stripping off their dirty clothing. Uh, for example, several weeks ago, when we—I I guess two snows ago—we got a we got a pretty light dusting of snow on the ground, and it was the first time it had happened that season. And so my kids—they were ecstatic—and they went outside and they uh, tried to sled down the small hill next to our house now there wasn't that much snow on the ground so they soon uh, ditched the sleds and uh, just decided they were going to roll down the hill over and over again and they said just a light dusting and so it was really it, it got pretty muddy and they just rolled down the hill for hours actually and so when they uh, you know, came back inside they were muddy from head to toe and so their first task when they came inside was of course, to peel off their muddy clothing. And uh, that's essentially uh, what uh, this phrase means here in uh, First Peter. Peter commands us to put away or lay aside these sins. The way someone might do with filthy clothes. And if you consider this uh, verse in context, specifically in light of the verse that comes right after it that speaks about spiritual growth, I believe it's clear that the reason Peter tells us to put away these sins is because of the way they hinder our spiritual growth. You know, just like if you, let's say, purchased a property that had a really old building on it, like maybe one that was falling apart and had even been condemned and you wanted to build a new building on that property, well, your, your first task would be to clear out the old, right? Uh, you would have to demolish the old building and haul away the debris before you'd be able to start constructing the new building. The old would have to be removed before the new could be built. And likewise, if we want to grow, well, the first step is for us to forsake the sins, That would otherwise keep us from growing and you know notice the word all there in verse one peter actually uses it three times doesn't he last week after church in that bible study seminar we talked about the importance of repetition right you guys who participated maybe remember that you want to look for repetition in the verse and so notice he uses it not just once but three times and by doing that I think he's emphasizing the need for complete repentance. He says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So it's as if Peter knows that our tendency sometimes is to forsake some sins, but quietly tolerate others. Usually sins that are more subtle. easier to hide. And so Peter tells us not just to forsake some of the manifestations of these sins, but to forsake all of them. So what about you? Are there any sins, especially these five, but even any sins that you have been quietly tolerating in your life that you would need to forsake? Then after Peter addresses these hindrances to our growth, he moves on to identify the means of our growth. Look with me at verse 2. Peter writes, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So Peter compares his readers to newborn infants. And uh, this seems to be a continuation of the metaphor that Peter just used at the end of the previous chapter. In 1 Peter one twenty three, he spoke of those who are Christians being born again. And just like in a physical birth, a new person enters the world, that's what happens spiritually when someone becomes a Christian. A transformation takes place in their heart that's so radical that uh, they are now essentially a different person from that point on. A new person has just entered the world. And here in verse 2 of our main passage, Peter continues that metaphor of a baby being born by referring to us as newborn infants. And if you know anything about a newborn infant, then you know that they only think about one thing. Right? There is one all-consuming obsession that dominates their thoughts just about every waking moment. And that, of course, is their desire for milk. Right? They want to eat. It's literally all they think about. And according to Peter, that's the way we should desire the pure spiritual milk That God's provided for us which uh, as the context of this verse indicates is the pure spiritual milk of God's word perfectly preserved for us in the pages of the Bible the intensity of desire that a newborn infant has for its mother's milk is a picture of the intensity of desire we should have uh, for God's word in the Bible and this is because as we see in the second part of verse two It's the milk of God's word that's the means and the instrument of our spiritual growth. Peter tells us to long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. At the end of the previous chapter, we learned that it was God's word that caused us to be born again in the first place. And we now see it's likewise this same word of God. That brings about all of our subsequent spiritual growth as well. So, do you have this longing that Peter describes for the pure spiritual milk of the Bible? You know, it seems like many times, unfortunately, uh, the, our, our desire for the Bible is uh, you know, somewhat lacking or, or at least crowded out. And I think one key reason for that is that we are just constantly being distracted by other things. And uh, I think these other things, most of them, can all be summed up in one thing. And uh, that would be uh, this thing (laughs) right here. No, I'm not talking about your Bible app, right? I'm talking about the endless uh, TikTok videos and Facebook and Instagram posts and uh, even news articles, news feeds and, and other endless other forms of media that are just constantly calling out for our attention and that often end up crowding out the, the very habits that are most critical for our spiritual growth, such as reading and studying the Bible. You know, it's often interesting to uh, view things in light of historical realities. And uh, one historical reality is that for the first 1,500 years of church history, the vast majority of Christians didn't have a copy of the Bible that they could just read whenever they felt like it. Um, Before the invention of the printing press, Bibles had to be copied by hand and were therefore extremely expensive, like way beyond anything the the average family could afford. Not only that, uh, the Bibles were written in Latin, which was the, the language of scholars. And so even if there was a Bible somewhere around town, the vast majority of people wouldn't be able to read it anyway. It seems so strange for us to think about, but that was the reality for the vast majority of Christians for most of church history. Now, of course, nowadays, things are drastically different. We have the Bible at our fingertips pretty much wherever we go. And not only that, there are literally dozens of wonderful translations of the Bible in the English language, as well as more Bible study tools than we even know what to do with. And yet something very strange has happened. It seems as though the more access we have to the Bible, the easier it is for us to take the Bible for granted. It seems as though the more convenient studying the Bible becomes, the less inclined we are to actually do it. And then, of course, when you add in all of the other distractions that we battle, that I mentioned a moment ago, our level of devotion to reading the Bible drops even lower. And so, in a twist of tragic irony, we end up being in a place that's actually not all that different from Christians before the 1500s. Only our access to the Bible is hindered not by it being unavailable or inaccessible, but rather by the unrelenting barrage of distractions and other forms of entertainment that so often pull us away from any serious engagement with the Scriptures. So maybe, you know, one change that you need to make in your life is to put some Firm limits on the amount of social media and entertainment and even, even news that you consume. Uh, for me personally, I've had an app on my phone for uh, a few years now uh, that is called the Stay Focused app that monitors the amount of time I spend on other apps and uh, will basically interrupt me and prevent me from spending any more time on those other apps than I've told it to let me spend. And uh, the time limit I've set for myself is uh, 15 minutes. Right? So that means I get a cumulative total of 15 minutes per day to look at uh, the news and uh, social media and, and anything else like that. And once I hit that limit, the app interrupts me and doesn't let me spend any more time on those kinds of things. And so maybe that's something for you to just consider, implementing in your life as well, uh, just deliberately limiting your intake of the various apps that just really don't add that much value to life, and instead using the time you'd spend on those things in, uh, to dig into the Bible and uh, engage in other habits that'll be helpful, like prayer. I uh, appreciate what John Piper wrote. Uh, he wrote this several years ago. He said uh, that One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day, like judgment day, that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. (laughs) Think about that. One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness, and we might add, neglect of Bible reading, was not from a lack of time. So there you go. Social media is important. It is helpful for at least one thing. <laughs> and of course, as I mentioned, the point isn't just to you know legalistically avoid un- uh, unprofitable things like this, but instead to, to use that time for something profitable, namely to get serious about immersing yourself in the Bible. The way I like to say it is to get into the Word until the Word gets into you. Hopefully, if you're a Christian, you have a desire for that. Hopefully, you have an appetite for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. I love the way Job says it in Job 23.12 when he states that, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. In other words, Job says, I have more of an appetite for God's word than I do even for physical food i also appreciate what the psalmist says in psalm 1 1 and 2 blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the lord and on his law on his word we could say he meditates day and night so according to the psalmist reading the bible isn't it's a duty. It's a delight. Moreover, David writes this of God's words in Psalm 19:10. I mentioned this in my prayer before. It says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. And Jeremiah 15:16 says, Your words, speaking to God, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight Of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And then finally, the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. I'm not going to read the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, But it is all about the value of the Bible and uh, how much the psalmist delights in it. For 176 verses, he goes on and on about how how you just can't get enough of God's Word. So hopefully, we can all seek to cultivate a deeper hunger and desire for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. And, you know, hopefully we can also go beyond that and actually set a specific goal for our Bible reading. You know, particularly if uh, reading and studying the Bible is uh, maybe a struggle for you to do consistently, or maybe if it just hasn't been a part of your life uh, up to this point. Um, A good foundational goal for us would be to read the Bible every single day. Just a daily habit. And you may also find it helpful to know that if you just read a chapter of the Bible every weekday, Not even weekends, but just every weekday. You read a chapter of the Bible, you will finish the Bible. Or you will finish the New Testament, rather, in the span of a year. And if you read four chapters a day, you will finish the entire Bible in the span of a year. And uh, there are plenty of different reading plans and and resources out there for for doing that and methods for doing that. So if you just Google Bible reading plans, I, I did it as a test, and there are plenty of uh, quality options that come up and then returning to our main passage Peter speaks not just of the hindrances to our growth and the means of our growth he also uh, number three identifies the goal of our growth and uh, the goal of our growth is actually right there in what we already read in verse two Peter writes like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation The word salvation there refers to being saved from something, uh, namely from our sins and the eternal consequences of our sins. You know, there was a time when we were in a terrifying predicament. We were in a state of rebellion against a holy and righteous God. Instead of honoring God as the one who had given us every good thing we'd ever enjoyed we had no gratitude whatsoever and were actually quite insistent on defying God's authority and living a life of active rebellion against God that's essentially what sin is and it's so outrageous and so appalling that it actually deserves nothing less than eternal judgment but in an act of extraordinary mercy God sent his own son Jesus to come into this world and save us. Jesus became a real flesh and blood human being lived a life of sinless perfection and then died on the cross as our substitute. Suffering the penalty for our sin. Like all the The judgment that our sins deserved came down on Jesus. So it wouldn't have to come down on us. Then after Jesus died, he was raised from the dead three days later. And now offers to save everyone who will put their trust in him for rescue. That's the salvation Peter speaks of here. And we experience some aspects of this salvation immediately. At the point in time when we put our trust in Jesus and become a Christian. So, right at that moment of conversion, we immediately experience forgiveness of sins, a radical transformation of heart, adoption into God's family, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. However, there are other aspects of our salvation that we don't experience immediately, at least not in their fullness. One of them is what the Bible calls sanctification, which is the gradual process of a Christian growing in godliness throughout their life. It's uh, more or less what we've been calling spiritual growth. And that's what Peter's referring to when he expresses a desire for us to grow up into salvation. You know, the way he phrases that makes me think of parents who uh, deliberately purchase clothes for their children that are slightly too big for them. Uh, The idea, of course, is that the kids will grow into those clothes over the next several weeks and months. That way the parents don't have to buy clothes quite as often. And just like a child might grow into an article of clothing, Peter expresses a desire for us to grow into our salvation. Every aspect of our salvation including our sanctification has already been purchased at the cross. However, we still need to grow into it. in a sense you might say we need to obtain what's already ours. Salvation in its fullness is ours already and yet we still need to grow to the full experience and enjoyment. Of that salvation. So hopefully that's happening. In your life. And understand I'm speaking here. Not just to those who are newer in the faith. But also to those who have been Christians for quite some time. Hopefully you're growing. To enjoy more and more. Of the salvation Jesus has purchased for you. And not just trying to live off of yesterday's gains. You know the, the prayer life you had. A decade ago? The Bible verses you you memorized as a child or a teenager? The habits of Bible study that you had when you were much younger in the faith? Hopefully you're seeking to grow beyond what you obtained and experienced in previous years. And you're experiencing greater heights of worship. Deeper levels of insight closer relationship with god than you've ever had before in fact and with us still being pretty close to the the beginning of the new year this might be a good opportunity for us to look back over our lives this past year in 2023 and consider whether or not there's been any observable growth have you as, as i said experienced greater heights of worship? Have you acquired deeper levels of insight? Have you come to have a closer relationship with God? Are you more like Jesus than you were a year ago? Have you made progress in overcoming the sins that are a frequent struggle for you? Is your heart more filled with love for God and delight in God than it was a year ago is the fruit of the spirit more present and prominent in your life (laughs) if you're married what would your spouse say (laughs) would your spouse say the fruit of the spirit is more present and prominent in your life consider this warning from the 19th century theologian at jc ryle he writes believe me you cannot stand still in the affairs of your souls habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day you are either getting nearer to God or further off. In other words, it's not really possible to be at a spiritual standstill. You know, kind of like, and not that I can ride this, but kind of like a unicycle, right? You can't just like at least I couldn't just stay there. Like you have to actually be going somewhere it's impossible to be at a spiritual standstill spiritually you're you're either actively growing closer to god ryle says or you're passively drifting away from him so hopefully you're growing in the words of peter in our main passage hopefully you're experiencing more of the salvation that jesus has purchased for you on the cross and then finally, having addressed the hindrances to our growth, uh, the means of our growth, and the goal of our growth, Peter speaks of the motivation for our growth. He does this in verse 3, but uh, let me begin reading again in verse 2 so we can get the flow of the sentence here. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good sounds like a familiar phrase doesn't it and so the motivation for our growth is that we have tasted that the lord is good and we desire more of him you're kind of like when you taste a food and you can't seem to stop eating it because it's just so good Um, i remember uh, last month uh, someone got our family a nice big box of these Saris chocolate-covered cherries for Christmas. And, uh, you know, since my wife is allergic to chocolate and uh, my kids, I mean, they had so much junk food during Christmas season, you know, I don't want to have too much junk food. It it seemed to me that the responsibility for eating those chocolates rested clearly on my shoulders, right? And so in an act of sacrificial love, I ate all of them. And I said a big box. I'm talking like three or four dozen chocolates, okay? It took me uh, eight days. I think I counted. It took me eight days to do it. But I ate that whole box. However, if I were to be completely honest with you, I would have to admit that maybe it wasn't purely sacrificial love that, that led me to do that. It might be that I just started eating the chocolates and found it really difficult to stop. You know, I, I tasted that at first morsel, and I felt its sweetness, or I tasted its sweetness in my mouth, and I just had to have more. And that's the kind of thing Peter's talking about in verse 3 here. You know, those of us who are Christians have already, as it were, tasted that the Lord is good. We've done that at our conversion, right? And so, because we've tasted his goodness and found him to be so good, we desire more of him. Like, like we can't stop ourselves. We just have to have more of God. By the way, as I'm sure you picked up on by now from the song, our third song that we sang today, this language of tasting God's goodness is indeed a reference to Psalm 34:8, where David exclaims, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man. Who takes refuge in him. In other words, don't just take someone else's word for it, but the Lord is good. Don't even just be content with simply reading in the Bible that the Lord is good. Instead, the Bible itself says to taste and see for yourself how good he is. And returning to our main passage, uh, this should be the motivation really, for our growth. According to Peter, we're supposed to long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word with the goal of growing up into salvation and out of a desire to taste more of God's goodness. Perhaps you're wondering what exactly it means to taste God's goodness. I guess the best way I could describe it is perceiving uh, through the eyes of faith and based on what God's revealed to us in the Bible how glorious and sweet and lovely and desirable he is. And recognizing that he is perfect in every way. And being altogether satisfied in him. It's not just that we've come to understand God's attributes intellectually. But that we've actually seen him. Again, with the eyes of faith. And become captivated. By who he is. You know, tasting really is a wonderful metaphor. It's not just that someone's told you, like you, you read a review online about a restaurant and that they said is good. It's not just that the plate is in front of you and you can see it and it looks good. It's not even just that the aroma of the food is coming up to your nose and you, it, that it smells good to you. No, you have actually tasted it for yourself and can confirm through, from your own personal experience that the food is good. So when you think about tasting God's goodness, you know, it's not just about knowing things about God. It's it's actually about knowing God. You know, kind of like the difference between the way the doctor knows my wife and the way I know my wife. In a sense, the doctor knows more about my wife, just about the way the human body works than I do. There's all kinds of things that a doctor's learned in school that I don't don't even have a clue how all that stuff works. So the doctor knows about her, maybe more facts in that sense. But, of course, the doctor doesn't know her in in a personal relationship as I do. And so that's the difference. It's not just about knowing facts about God that you read in a theology book. It's about knowing God and beholding his glory, sensing his presence being captivated by him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, David says. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so perhaps we could make it our prayer, something I've been praying for myself, that with every single day that goes by this upcoming year, that we would taste more of God's goodness than we did the day before.